Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and of course, whoever. And this is, if I'm not mistaken, episode 314. All right, before we dig in, a quick follow-up to that Mercedes Carrera story that I covered last week. It was really kind of a dark and disturbing story, so I have my reservations about even bringing it up again. But she issued a statement, I think the day after I published that episode, so I figured in the interest of fairness, I should probably read it. And so if you didn't catch the last episode, Mercedes Carrera is this adult film star who was also something of a YouTube celebrity. She would appear on shows like The Drunken Peasants, and I believe she even appeared on The Non Sequitur Show not too long before the story broke. Whatever you thought of her politics and her profession, she still came across as a fairly intelligent, well-educated, well-spoken individual, someone who seemed to have their proverbial shit together, relatively speaking. Then this recent story broke. Her and her husband, or living boyfriend, were both arrested and are both still, as far as I know, being held without bail. The reason that they were arrested, according to the allegations, is that they were supposedly sexually abusing a girl under the age of 10. I know, really dark stuff. I think I mentioned in the last episode that maybe, maybe there was a chance she was being falsely accused. You know, who knows? Uh, Maybe she's innocent. Uh, But as far as I could tell, you know, it it didn't look good for them. And then once again, the next day, I believe she issued a statement, and here it is. Last week, my husband and I were arrested on charges of molesting my nine-year-old daughter. Even hard to read, so the the story takes even a darker turn, uh, especially, you know, if this is true. The girl in question is her daughter. The absolute worst crime I can imagine. The charges were filed by her father, my ex-partner, a fundamentalist Christian. He is trying to take custody of our child from me. The charges are absolutely false and horrifying and a last-ditch effort to keep me from contact with my daughter for the rest of my life. I am so worried for her. Her life is shattered. Life will never be the same for any of us. We are struggling to make sense of this nightmare. This is a no-bail offense, so we are stuck in jail until we are cleared. We are facing decades in prison and do not even have money for a lawyer. We do not know what to do, but I ask that you all know me for who I am and know that neither I nor my husband would ever, ever do anything like this to any child, let alone my beloved daughter. Okay, so there it is. I figured I should read it, you know, innocent until proven guilty and all that. And it's such a a well-worded statement that you almost want to believe her, but I don't know. I believe the cops uh, also found meth and loaded guns in the house. If the guns were secured and out of the reach of children, that would be one thing. Uh, But I don't know what the exact circumstances are or were. Uh, Ugly custody battles do happen and kids do sometimes get coached. Uh, you know, to accuse uh, parents of some heinous things. But kids also get abused, so I don't know what to believe. So, you know, once again, the interest of fairness, I want to read that. And some people have said that it seems kind of suspicious that they don't have money for uh, a lawyer, especially when you consider that, um, 
I think they were both kind of prolific in the adult film industry. Uh, but who knows? There, there could be some reason. Uh, what it is exactly, I don't know. Uh, maybe uh, money got squandered on drugs. Maybe uh, money was tied up in uh, business interests. I, I, I have no idea. But just a really kind of lurid, dark story. And, uh, you know, let's move on. <laughs> so the next story involves Chris Pratt. He was recently called out by fellow celebrity Ellen Page for attending a supposedly anti-LGBT church. And it's funny, I actually like both of them. I've liked Ellen Page since Juno, and I really like Chris Pratt in those Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And this isn't the first story involving Chris Pratt and religion. I believe he mentioned God during an award ceremony or something not that long ago. Yeah, he thanked God during the uh, 2018 Teen Choice Awards. To be honest, it kind of took me by surprise when I found out he was religious. For some reason, maybe because of his irreverent sense of humor or whatever, I just never pinned him as uh, the religious type. But let's take a look at this article. And this is from NBC News. And once again, I'm using a screen capture tool. Uh... <laughs> Hoping I'm not a glutton for punishment. Just to be safe, you know, lesson learned the hard way. I'm actually also recording the audio via GarageBand in case the audio via the screen capture tool comes out riddled with glitches again. So this article is entitled Chris Pratt responds to Ellen Page calling his church anti-LGBTQ. Page called Pratt's Hillsong Church quote-unquote, infamously anti-LGBTQ. Man, does that Q make a difference? Uh, you know, I'm kind of lazy. Uh, that acronym already kind of wins me, just the LGBT. Uh, and the Q, the Q, you know, I have to almost reach for my albuterol uh, last week. But the quote-unquote Guardians of the Galaxy star said, quote-unquote, once again, maybe that's the drinking game uh, of the week every time I say quote-unquote, nothing could be further from the truth. And this is dated uh, February 12th. And even though this is uh, on an NBC site, it says uh, the story is coming from uh, Variety. After Ellen Page called his church infamously anti-LGBTQ in a tweet last week, Chris Pratt has responded by saying nothing could be further from the truth. Pratt posted a response on his Instagram story on my I, doesn't uh I I still can't get into Instagram. Isn't it owned by Facebook? It's like I already have Facebook, I already have Twitter, uh I, I'm on Facebook pages, you know, because of the podcast. Um I can't juggle all this social media stuff. Um Anyway, defending the Hillsong Church, which he attends, by saying it was supportive of him during his divorce from Anna Faris more than a year ago. And uh, here's a quote. It has recently been suggested that I belong to a church which hates a certain group of people and is infamously anti-LGBTQ. Nothing could be further from the truth, he wrote. I'm not laughing at a statement. I'm laughing at uh, myself or my own... Uh, <laughs> excuse for a sense of humor or whatever. Um, 
I go to a church that opens their doors to absolutely everyone. Despite what the Bible says about divorce, my church community was there for me every stop of the way. Never judging, just gracefully accompanying me on my walk. They helped me tremendously, offering love and support. It is what I have seen them do for others on countless occasions, regardless of sexual orientation, race, or gender. I mean, it is nice that, you know, they're helping him through or that they helped him through that that tough time during his divorce. But right there, I mean, he kind of brings up an interesting point. And it's kind of like that cafeteria Catholic, even though these you know are Catholics, cafeteria Christian approach um, that despite what the Bible says about divorce, plenty of Christians still get divorced. So it's funny how religion can kind of evolve and adapt to the times, etc. Isn't that one kind of signpost that maybe, uh, or tell that it's, you know, man-made? And isn't it odd if you're truly a believer that you're willing to go against the teachings of your own religion because it's more convenient for you, especially on something big like divorce, you know? Anyway, as previously reported, Two Hillsong Church executives received backlash in 2015 after making homophobic comments and calling homosexuality a sin. Paige tweeted her criticism of the church after Pratt appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and talked about his religious side. And I think this is, uh, quoting Paige's tweet, Okay, um, but his church is infamously anti-LGBTQ, so maybe address that too, Paige wrote. She later doubled down, tweeting, If you are a famous actor and you belong to an organization that hates a certain group of people, don't be surprised if someone simply wonders why it's not addressed. Being anti-LGBTQ is wrong. There aren't two sides. The damage it causes is severe. Full stop. Sending love to all. In response, Pratt went on to say how his personal values represent him, not his church affiliation. My faith is important to me, but no church defines me or my life. That seems kind of odd too. And I am not a spokes and I'm not a spokesman for any church or group of people. My values define who I am. We need less hate in this world, not more. I'm a man who believes that everyone is entitled to love who they want, free from judgment of their fellow man, he wrote. The Lego Movie 2 star also shared a Bible verse. That's just, I don't know why that, that seems odd, like surreal. A, a surreal sentence. The Lego Movie 2 star also shared a Bible verse from John 13, 34. Um, Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another, he wrote. This is what guides me in my life. He is a God of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Hate has no place in my or this world. Hillsong Church did not provide NBC News with a requested comment regarding Page's claims that the church is anti-LGBTQ, but a publicist for the organization referred NBC News to a 2015 post by Hillsong's global senior pastor, Brian Houston. In that post, Houston states the church welcomes all people, but does not affirm all lifestyles, including the quote-unquote gay lifestyle drink-up. So, um... Yeah, but up a couple of paragraphs, um, Pratt displays another kind of common example of kind of Christian cognitive gymnastics. 
God is a God of love. Uh, Jesus' commandment to love one another is what, you know, defines the faith for him or whatever. And often people will, you know, rightly so, bring up the Old Testament. You know, what about the Old Testament? There's a lot of kind of ugly, bloody stuff in there. An eye for an eye, wrathful God type of stuff, you know. And uh, then Christians will often say, well, we're New Testament people. And th but then does, doesn't Jesus say that he came not to abolish, but to fulfill the law? Uh, and that, you know, it shouldn't be changed one uh, jot or tittle, one iota. Um, yeah, but anyway, so obviously I tend to lean more towards the side of Ellen Page. You know, I, I'm, uh, as much as I'm joking about, um, how much of a pain in the ass it is to say LGBTQ, uh, I'm very, a very strong supporter of gay rights, gay marriage, etc. Um, so I'm completely simpatico with her on that. Uh, is there hate going on here? I think, I mean... A lot of Christians will say they don't hate homosexuality. And what's that famous saying, that cliche? Uh, um, hate the sinner, not the sin. Yeah, I know. It should be don't hate the sinner, hate the sin. The perils of working unscripted. Just an unfortunate brain glitch there. I wish I had caught that before publishing the episode. If you downloaded the episode without this correction, consider it a collector's item, I guess. Uh, yeah, um, you know, and often they'll come off as lovey-dovey. We accept everyone in our church, even gays. Uh, we just want to try to fix you, you know what I mean? So, I don't know why I automatically go to a southern, uh, accent there. Uh, that was kind of like a weird Dr. Phil, I don't know. Um, so in a way, you could almost say it's kind of like a strange, intellectually dishonest or passive-aggressive kind of hate. We love you. We just think that uh, your lifestyle is completely wrong and sinful and we want to change you, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I really don't have much else to say about that story. It just involved a couple of celebrities that I kind of like with diametrically opposed kind of, you know, worldviews or whatever. Although I think Pratt's trying to say that he's not anti-gay, you know. He tries to focus on uh, the lovey-dovey stuff. That kind of, he puts that kind of spin on Christianity. But obviously he's a member of a church that uh, doesn't look too favorably, to say the least, on, on the gay lifestyle. And she's uh, very pro-LGBT uh, rights. Uh, Q, forgot the Q. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about that one. So anyway, this next story is a little off topic. But, you know, I couldn't resist the temptation to talk about it. Um, both as someone who knows what it's like to have wrestled, and if I'm going to be honest with you guys and myself, uh, still wrestles to some degree with depression. Um, it interests me in that sense. It also interests me just as a person who's um, has a layman's interest in neuroscience and chemicals, uh, that type of thing. Um it's a story about a drug closely related to ketamine. I think it's basically a type of ketamine uh, that's about to be approved for the treatment of severe depression. It's a nasal spray. So basically a ketamine nasal spray. And you may have heard stories about how uh, I think basically uh, ketamine via an IV 
has uh, proven to be very effective for drug-resistant depression, really serious uh, cases of depression. And uh, so it's pretty wild. So now there's going to be this ketamine-like nasal spray. And this is also from NBC News. New depression drug related to ketamine recommended by FDA panel. Experimental nasal spray is intended for people with severe depression who aren't helped by other treatments or therapies. And I don't know if I should make a digression into some <laughs> embarrassing uh, personal stories, but I have, I think, twice, twice in my life I've tried ketamine. One time was back in my 20s at the end of, uh, end of a night of partying. Uh, had been out at this club that I used to go to with my friends. Um, it was actually where I first met, uh, one of my best friends, uh, a female friend I, I often, uh, allude to on the show, but usually I don't use her name because, uh, you know, I'm trying to err on the side of privacy, but I can't even remember if the, the ketamine actually did anything for me. Uh, it was, it was literally probably like somewhere between five and seven in the morning. I had been drinking all, all night. Who knows what else I was doing. And, uh, I can't really recall if the ketamine did anything significant to add to my already altered state of consciousness. I believe I took it, took it by, uh, I think it was rolled up like a joint or something. I, I don't know. And then, um, maybe like four or five years ago, I hope no family members are listening to this. And I've actually mellowed out a lot since, um, well, I had that kind of come to Jesus uh, moment, figuratively speaking, don't worry, still an atheist, agnostic atheist, when I really just got horribly, horribly drunk at a, uh, friend's party. And, uh, th that was kind of a game changer for me. So other than like, Yohimbi, uh, Kratom, and um, alcohol consumed within, you know, acceptable limits. <laughs> I, I really haven't really been getting that messed up or anything. But yeah, probably about four or five years ago when I was still just kind of, you know, out in social situations with something of a party animal, I'd probably do just about anything you put in front of me. Um Someone at a party had this white powder, said it was ketamine, and wanted to know if I wanted to buy some. And I was already shit-faced. And with me, if I'm already messed, if you know, if I'm already drunk, I'm far more likely to make stupid decisions, and uh, you know, my inhibitions are lowered, and I'm more likely to try other substances. Um, and so stupidly, I'm like, oh, okay. So I bought this little bag of ketamine, and me and a few friends did it. And I guess other people at the party were also uh, doing it. You know, they had also purchased it from this guy or whatever. And I remember um, it didn't, it's, the guys seemed to enjoy it. They, you know, they, they seemed kind of uh, like they were in a, a fairly euphoric state, but nothing too pronounced. I noticed that the, the two girls who took it that were hanging out with us, it seemed to have more of an effect on them. They became very kind of like, like blissfully sleepy. Like they just wanted to lie down and kind of drift off with a smile on their face. And me, I don't know if I'm just a weird, well, I know I'm a weirdo, but I don't know if I have my own 
strange physiology, if I'm just wired differently, or if maybe it had interacted with my antidepressant or something like that. But for me, it did the opposite of what you'd expect from ketamine. It actually kind of energized me, and I felt like on 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 top of the world. I just felt amazing. And who knows? Maybe uh, it was temporarily lifting, you know, my depression that I didn't even know I, I was, you know, dealing with to that effect at at, at that time. You know what I mean? Um, maybe I was more depressed than I thought. And as someone who suffers from depression, you know, maybe it uh just kind of lifted the fog or something. I I I, I don't know. But I wouldn't advise buying, uh, well, I wouldn't say he was a stranger. It's kind of an acquaintance. I wouldn't advise buying white powder from uh, strangers and stuffing it up your nose. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but it, did, it had a different effect on me than everyone else. I felt really energized and confident, like I had a new lease on life. It, it was very strange. Um you know, just to err on the side of caution and offer the caveat, if you are someone who's listening right now who uh, does, you know, really struggle with serious depression, don't go seeking out uh, unidentified bags of white powder. You know, if you want one who, you know, use ketamine to relieve your depression, seek out the uh, the help of a medical professional. Um but yeah, I mean, for people who have uh, treatment or drug-resistant depression, you know, really, really, it's, it's, I feel bad for those people because, I mean, me, you know, I might bitch about the side effects of antidepressants sometimes, but at least for me, there's, you know, more common uh, treatments that, I, that my depression responds to, that I respond to. Um, and primarily the reason why I take antidepressants is because of those chronic migraines I tend to get. And, you know, it's kind of a what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of situation. Um, did the headaches come first and cause the depression or did, did the depression come first and cause the headaches? Because physical pain can be uh, a, a symptom of depression. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I always assume, I mean, when I look back in the past, I think even before I knew what to call it, I think even as a kid, I wrestled with uh, a certain degree of, of depression and anxiety. And I, I didn't really come to terms with it until I was probably in my early 20s. And the headaches, they were just so horrible. And, and you know, I was at my wits end. I needed help for them. Um, that was kind of what triggered me to, to finally, you know, kind of look myself in the mirror and say, you know, you've got a problem here. It's not just the headaches. You've been carrying some baggage around for a long time and there's something else going on besides the headaches. But I was in a couple of bad car accidents in my early twenties. Neither of them my fault. I've talked about it on the show before. Um, in one accident, I was a passenger and my friend blew through uh, an intersection, and we got T-boned. And my head went off the went off the windshield and off the side window. Um, then, not too long after that, I was caught in bumper to bumper traffic on the highway, and a speeding van plowed into the line of traffic I was in. My car went into a ditch off the highway. Was stopped by a tree. Thing basically crumpled like an accordion. Uh, airbag went off in my in my face. 
The next day, I literally had to use my own ha uh, hands to help pull my head off the pillow. So my head and neck have been brutalized, uh, you know. Um, I don't fully understand the physics of a car crash um, or how much speed and pressure you're dealing with when you hit your head in a car accident. Uh, but I know it ain't good. And humans weren't designed for that, you know what I mean. So I always assumed that my chronic migraines, maybe they had, maybe they were exacerbate, exacerbated by depression, anxiety, and stress. But I thought they were probably at least partially rooted in um, head and neck trauma. But a new neurologist I saw a year or two ago said, you know, it's probably hereditary or something that just kind of developed naturally, unfortunately, or whatever. But I'm still not 100% convinced. I mean, I mean, your head gets bounced around during a serious car accident. Um, I mean, I don't see why you couldn't conclude that there's a chance that it may have had something to do with uh, chronic, uh, the development of chronic head pain. I used to have the occasional migraine before that, uh, but nothing compared to those chronic, almost 24-7 headaches I developed. And the only thing that takes care of those headaches is serotonin drugs, antidepressants. So anyway, yeah, once again, I found this story on an NBC page, but this time the story's from uh, Reuters, apparently. An experimental nasal spray, which has a compound similar to the club drug ketamine, special K, watch out for that K-hole, has been recommended as a new depression treatment by an advisory panel to the Food and Drug Administration Tuesday. The influential panel voted 14 to 2 in favor of Johnson & Johnson's drug S-ketamine. Okay, it looks just like ketamine, but with uh, an E-S prefix. A treatment developed to treat major depression in patients who have not benefited from at least two different therapies. The panel said the benefits of the nasal spray outweighed the risks. Side effects include dizziness, nausea, and an unpleasant feeling of dissociation, according to the company. One member in the panel abstained from voting. So that, uh, that mention of disassociation, or dissociation, that is, uh, a classic, uh, side effect of ketamine. Um, and I think that's, you know, serious episodes of dissociation or what I think that's when people talk about the K-hole when you sink down into that kind of that dark rut or whatever during a uh, ketamine high. I myself, that second time I did ketamine, I didn't experience any dissociation that I remember. Quite the contrary. I felt like I was, uh, I, I felt unbelievable. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's supposed to be uh, very common with ketamine. It's weird. I'm just using my little dictionary app, and it has three different definitions for dissociation. And the one that's supposedly the psychiatric definition, separation of normally related mental processes resulting in one group functioning independently from the rest, leading in extreme cases to disorders such as multiple personality. So yeah, it can be kind of like a, a, a feeling of detachment from reality or detachment from yourself, not quite, you know, feeling right. Um, I think I have experienced some degree of dissociation, uh, while doing pot. I think I did, uh, 
a friend gave me like half of an ed- I forget what the heck kind of candy it was. You know, it came in this cute little wrapper and everything. Looked just like a piece of candy. And he actually cut it up because it was so potent, you know, gave different pieces to different people. And he gave me the biggest portion for some reason. And it was actually after I had that horrible experience with a bong hit. Um, and this time around, I'm like, okay, I'm uh, now I'm kind of... Uh, it's kind of becoming old hat. I know what it's like to have a pot freak out. So I was able to kind of, you know, strap myself in and navigate through it kind of better because I, I had already experienced uh, some harrowing pot ordeals before that. But I do remember feeling just like kind of disconnected from reality, like having a conversation with other people. And uh, they seemed to think I was fine. They couldn't tell anything was wrong with me. But inside, I'm just trying to grip on for dear life to reality (laughs) you know i'm like oh no what the hell is going on i just didn't feel like my like myself for some reason felt kind of like disconnected from my usual self like almost like this weird observer or felt like removed or disconnected from normal reality uh not not a pleasant feeling But uh, here's a quote. I think esketamine, if that's how you pronounce it, has the potential to be a game changer in the treatment of depression. I use the term potential because the issues of cost and patient accessibility need to be addressed, said Walter Dunn, a panel member who voted in favor of the approval. The nasal spray acts quickly, showing benefits after four hours. The hope is that the spray can help the 30% to 40% of patients with major depression who don't respond to antidepressants, most of which take at least four weeks to take effect. Currently, Eli Lilly's Symbiax is the only FDA-approved drug for treatment-resistant depression. And here's a little video. Maybe I'll play it. It's known as Special K. A psychedelic drug popular in dance clubs and highly addictive. But doctors say this same drug, ketamine, approved as animal tranquilizer and (laughs) anesthetic, can Uh. also be a lifesaver when used to treat severe depression when nothing else works. There was no happiness. There was no, I wasn't alive. 52-year-old Liz Lehman says she was contemplating suicide after fighting postpartum depression for years. When her doctor prescribed ketamine, she felt better immediately. You just feel free and open and wonderful. Ketamine is revolutionary. It's unlike anything else that we have. One small study found ketamine decreased suicidal thoughts almost immediately in 50% of patients. Most antidepressants take weeks. What is actually happening in the brain when a person takes this drug? Stress over time may cause damage to important connections in the brain that may lead to depression. Ketamine has the potential to heal or repair those connections. But doctors say they need more studies on how to prescribe it safely. What happens if it's administered chronically over time? We simply don't know. Liz has reduced her treatment from six doses over a two-week period to a maintenance dose once a month. I am alive. I am in my life. I am happy. I am joyous. A promising use for a controversial drug that Liz says saved her life. Rahima Ellis, NBC News, Princeton, New Jersey. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I'm kind of joking around a bit and sharing these silly anecdotes about me using uh, ketamine recreationally. Whatever you think of ketamine as a recreational drug, I mean, I think this is 
absolutely fabulous. Did, did I just uh, refer to a, to a British uh, comedy show? Remember that? Absolutely fabulous. Anyway, uh, no, but seriously, I'm still joking. I think this is an amazing breakthrough uh, for people who struggle with depression. Both uh, ketamine and uh, this new drug, S-ketamine, if I'm pronouncing it correctly once again, um, this drug that's chemically very similar to ketamine. Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably something of a risky recreational drug. Uh, it's not something you should play around with lightly. Uh, but for depression, it seems that there's no question that it's kind of a wonder drug for people with treatment-resistant depression. Um, yeah, and they're talking about how it works really quickly. You know, uh, I mean, it, it can really lift your depression within four hours or something like that. And supposedly it can even start reducing uh, or negating suicidal thoughts uh, almost immediately. It's absolutely amazing. And that kind of caught my attention when they were talking about how it may have the benefit to actually repair certain connections in the brain or whatever. Because I think that is true. I mean, depression, is, to some degree, it's still kind of a mystery, you know, at least in regard to exactly how much of depression is nature and how much is nurture. Uh, we know there's a chemical component, no doubt about it. That's why people respond to antidepressants. Um, but, you know, how much of depression is hereditary? How much can be the result of stress? Um, kind of a chicken versus the egg thing again. And it probably varies from person to person. Maybe you'll have one person who's really genetically predisposed to depression. And then you might have another person who might not have really had to worry about wrestling with depression uh, genetically, but had to deal with a lot in their life, a lot of stress, uh, adversity, etc. And maybe uh, that chronic stress eventually takes a chemical t uh, toll and kind of rewires your brain, you know, and causes a, uh, a chemical imbalance, uh, you know, a depletion of uh, serotonin or certain feel-good neurotransmitters or whatever. Um, so I think, yeah, just how much of depression is nature, how much is nurture, uh, I, I, uh, you know, how much is how much is chemical, how much is cognitive. I think that's that's something the experts are still wrestling with. But obviously it can be chemically treated and there is a chemical component. And so I think this is great for uh, for people out there who uh, are wrestling with uh suicidal thoughts who are uh have you know stuck in a really deep and dark depression that's treatment resistant so as someone myself who's wrestled with depression and just as someone who's interested in the brain and neuroscience and uh chemicals etc I, I just thought this was a really interesting story okay so one more story and I want to give credit where credit is due. I first heard about this story uh, via the Deep Fat Fried podcast hosted by uh, the Amazing Atheist, a.k.a. T.J. Kirk, his friend Paul, and uh, his brother Scotty. Um, it was just last night, I think, they uploaded it. Uh, <laughs> crazy right-wing uh, religious fanatic Rick Wiles is trying to say that... Um, Tom Brady's wife, Giselle Bunchen, 
is a witch. And in a weird way, she might be. She might be Wiccan. I tried to, uh, the guys on the Deep Fat Fried podcast said that, yeah, she she's Wiccan, uh, practices some kind of white witchcraft, some kind of new agey stuff or whatever. Um, I tried to look that up for myself online, and most of the search results were to Christian websites. So, um, at least, I mean, I didn't look that hard, but objective news sources weren't really, you know, coming up right away. And, uh, I didn't want to, you know, go, just go to Christian websites, uh, to try to vet that claim. But, um, yeah, so maybe she is Wiccan. I mean, who cares, you know, but of course, as a, as a fundamentalist Christian, he's got to put some weird paranoid, uh, spin on it. Wiles, Tom Brady is being led by wife's witchcraft. (laughs) And so here's a video. I'll play it. It's obvious Tom Brady has no uh, spiritual discernment at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obvious that he's, uh, he's, he's spiritually lost. He's being <laughs> led through life by a witch. <laughs> he thinks it's cute. He thinks it's, uh, you know, pardon the pun, charming. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I just want to pause for a second. You know, he says he's, he's being led through life by a witch. So from my worldview as a, you know, I'm someone who's interested in spiritual topics, even the occult, things like that, but I don't literally believe in the supernatural. You know, at the end of the day, I have uh, a very rational, scientific, materialist point of view, you know, worldview. So I don't believe that witches exist in some supernatural sense. If you want to call people who practice Wicca uh, witches, or whatever, you know, if they want to call themselves witches, okay, whatever. Uh, no skin off my back, you know. Um, but I don't think witches literally exist in the sense that he probably thinks they do. Uh, these evil, malicious beings that uh, cast spells on people and curse people and whatnot and, you know, sign compacts with the devil in the middle of the forest or something, you know. So even if she is Wiccan... I mean, uh, so what? She's probably got uh, crystals and candles and does her little incantations out of a book she bought from uh, Barnes & Noble or something. Uh, whatever. And uh, and he thinks it works because he keeps winning. Mm. Uh, does it work? The Patriots do win a lot. But... <laughs> but uh, it almost it almost tempts me to maybe say, hmm, but no, no, still a skeptic. That's a really interesting question, Doc. Um, she said, look what he said. She said, I did my work. Yes. You did your work. You're you're lucky you married a witch. So she's probably half joking, but I wouldn't be surprised if she really does uh, practice Wicca, that she obviously believes in it to some degree, or she engages in the, uh, or indulges herself in the suspension of disbelief. So, yeah, I mean, obviously she thinks it works or wants to believe it works to some degree. So, of course, she's going to say that. But, I mean, it sounds like some, something she probably said half-jokingly. 
good witch, though. She's yeah. I, well, aren't all witches good? But so he believes, people, right? Yeah, he believes. They all say they're a, good. A soothsayer. He thinks she's a soothsayer. Um, he, he trusts her, right? He. Yeah, yeah. And he sleeps with her. He sleeps. Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> These guys obviously probably aren't Pat's fans. <laughs> if they were, they'd probably, hey, he's such a good, wholesome, all-American boy. But since he probably doesn't play or win for their team, they're like, witch. Anyway. With a witch. Shocking. There's, there's deep spiritual uh, ramifications for that. He's sleeping with a witch. Right. This his, soul is, his soul is defiled <laughs> because he's... He's having intimate relations with a witch. Right. She's a witch. She's Once again, it's not like she's a real witch. She's, uh, you know, levitating, turning people into frogs or whatever. I believe Wiccans claim that their religion is based on ancient pagan practices. But I think so little is known about ancient pagan religion that uh, a lot of it is kind of modern invention or a modern twist on some whatever scraps could be found. I think, what was it, uh, either late 19th century or the 20th century when some English dude invented uh, Wicca? Wicca, also termed pagan witchcraft, is a contemporary pagan new religious movement. It was developed in England during the first half of the 20th century and was introduced to the public in 1954 by Gerard or Gerald Gardner, a retired British civil servant. Wicca draws upon a diverse set of ancient pagan and 20th century hermetic motifs for its theological structure and ritual practices. You know, so she's probably got a bunch of glossy paperback books she bought online and goes around the house chanting or something. But I don't, I don't think this, we're in any real supernatural danger from uh, Giselle Bunchen. She's not just somebody who has some goofy New Age ideas. She's a yes, witch. yes, she is. Oh, and there's that uh, right-wing watch uh, music that, uh, if, you, if you're depressed, it may make you feel like you want some ketamine, like I'm being lowered down into the ground. <laughs> um, really is more a morbid-sounding jingle, but I love making fun of it. Uh, but I actually like right-wing watch. You know, I scavenge a lot of the videos <laughs> that I cover on the show from them. But that being said, I guess I'll call this one a wrap. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. You can watch on YouTube. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that famous alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash doubt and help the show out. You know, fund what I do here for as little as 99 cents a month and stop anytime you want. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time. <laughs>